Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Mr. Matt Simon will join us to discuss Light of the Living Dead. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Well, zombies, they may just seem like the stuff of fiction, but it's real and it's happening in the world around us. Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Mr. Matt Simon. Mr. Simon is a science writer at Wired Magazine, where he specializes in zoology, particularly of the bizarre variety. He's the author of The Wasp That Brainwashed the Caterpillar and the author of the new book entitled Plight of the Living Dead, What Real Life Zombies Reveal About Our World and Ourselves. And uh, Mr. Simon, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. And thank you for having me. Certainly our pleasure, certainly a fascinating book, one that will catch the, the attention of many readers out there, but what got you interested in uh, looking at zombies in nature? Yeah, you know, over the years I started noticing that this wasn't uh, just a freak happenstance, that uh, there's just one critter out there, a parasite that has evolved to mind control its host, but you know, especially after writing the book and researching all these, it is an astoundingly uh, common happenstance. This has evolved, this behavioral modification has evolved across the tree of life from microbes like bacteria to wasps um, to worms, all across the tree of life. This has evolved independently many, many, many times as a strategy for parasites to you know, better their chances at passing down their genes. Uh, that just so happens to come at the expense of their poor, poor hosts. What are we talking about, though, when we talk about how these parasites uh, zombify their, their hosts? What actually happens? Zombie that we know of from pop culture is the virus that spreads through humanity and turns a human into kind of a stumbling, stupid creature that's very bitey and aggressive. But out in nature, you see zombification on a much more precise uh, scale. So you, for instance, can have a wasp called a jewel wasp that can perform brain surgery on a cockroach, you know, like you do. Uh, what it does is it, it, the mother wasp tackles a roach and drives her stinger through its neck and into the brain of the cockroach, where she feels around with the stinger and injects venom in two specific spots in the brain that govern locomotion. Uh, when she pulls the stinger out, the cockroach just stands there in a stupor like a zombie. Um, and in fact, it has the ability to run away or fly away, but chooses not to, which is a shame because the female wasp then guides it, doesn't even drag it, more guides it into a burrow where she lays an egg on it, that egg hatches into a larva, and devours it alive. So at any time, the cockroach can go run away or fly away, but never chooses to. So there's a zombification here that is far more interesting to me, far more complex than just a virus sweeping through humanity and making us angry. This is something that has evolved over millions of years in many different kinds of, of critters uh, in these parasites to really precisely manipulate their hosts. 
And is it always of the the variety where they're attacking the brain directly, or, or are there some instances where they sort of inject some compound that affects the brain? That's where it gets extra interesting is that these, not only are there different strategies for these parasites depending on the species, but yeah, there are different ways to go about it. So it comes down to the manipulation of chemicals in the cockroach and the wasp. Uh, one important one seems to be dopamine. The venom of the wasp is loaded with the stuff, and when it gets in the brain of the cockroach, it appears to lead to that grooming behavior uh, that the cockroach does instead of flying away. Um, because in cockroaches and other insects, dopamine governs grooming. So that's one example. But, you know, in, in others, there are uh, in this thing called a ophiocordyceps fungus that infects ants. Um, it actually grows around the brain as a sheath and never actually invades the brain as opposed to the stinger going straight into a cockroach's brain. Um, it might actually grow through muscles, uh, the fungus and the ant, and, and pry apart fibers and then the theory is that it might be actually functionally replacing the central nervous system when it breaks apart those fibers to then release neurotransmitters. So that's a more physical manipulation, almost literally pulling strings to individually manipulate muscles, if that theory holds out. So depending on the species, that's what's so fascinating, is that not only different strategies, but different ways for the parasite to go about it. And what about humans? Are there any of these parasites that, that can take control of our minds? Unfortunately, yes. And I think one that we don't think about very often as a manipulative parasite is the rabies virus. And that is, in fact, what probably gave rise to the pop culture zombie that we know today. It's very similar. The uh, aggression, um, the biting, uh, you can see this in particular with things like raccoons infected with uh, rabies that get extremely aggressive. And that's a manipulation on the part of the virus to spread itself around because it transmits by bite, but you know, rabies gets famously gets in our brains as well and does really, really terrible things to our central nervous system and, and even manipulates our behavior. So one of the things that the virus does uh, across mammals that it infects is make the host not only not want to drink water, but to be afraid of water. And that's probably a manipulation for the virus to keep the host from drinking water and washing the virus out of its mouth. It's incredibly interesting manipulation, but you get this in humans as well. If you uh, are, 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 have the stomach for it, you can find videos online of people in the throes of, of rabies infection, and a nurse will try to give them water, and they will physically recoil at just the sight of water. Of course, they don't want to do that, but that is a kind of this residual manipulation of rabies that never evolved to really exploit us, except you know other mammals. Um, in our mammalian family, but because we have a mammalian brain, the virus gets in there and, and does terrible things as well. So we like to think of ourselves as humans as these very special creatures with great big consciousness and free will and all that, uh, but really it all comes down to pure biology that these organisms, these viruses and, and other parasites are manipulating with extreme precision. Well, that sort of brings us to the subtitle of your book. What does this tell us about ourselves? <laughs> do we really have uh, all that much control as we think we do if, if something as simple as a virus can take control of our behavior? I would argue, no, that we don't. Uh, I'm in the camp that says that free will isn't a thing. You can do brain studies, brain scans that show that the brain is actually making a decision several seconds before we're conscious of actually doing so. That's worrisome to me. But beyond that, you can get something like a rabies virus that acts on 
pure biology to manipulate behavior. It isn't manipulating some nebulous notion of a soul, which we would like to think that humans have because we're different and special than all the other organisms uh, on the planet, but we are meat. Our brains are meat, and that means that we are we can be manipulated by these these parasites. Um, they didn't evolve, like rabies didn't evolve to exploit us, but because we have this mammalian brain, we are susceptible as well. And the, the other side of this, beyond the, the free will debate, is you know, what is uh, an organism? What is a species? So if you have a roach whose head is loaded with venom, at what point does it stop being a roach? Um, when do we draw that line? When its behavior crosses into something that is completely unroach-like in the sense that it is should be defending itself from this wasp, yet is willingly following it into a den and into its doom. Um, so you start to have to think about, well, if that's one case, what other types of parasitic manipulation do we not know about? How much of the behavior of animals can we chalk up to their own neurons and chemicals swishing around? Uh, and how much of it is the manipul manipulation of these parasites that we are just beginning to understand. I think it really brings up some profound questions about what a species actually is. How much of it is the behavior of the animal itself, and how much of it is the behavior induced by these bad actors? Um, it will be shown, and I think in the coming decades, as the scientists who are studying this find more and more examples of these manipulative parasites, just how widespread it is. And, you know, I don't think we should be tremendously worried as humans, but we're also not immune from this sort of, of manipulation because we are, again, just meat. That's what it comes down to. Along those lines, I mean, are there any examples of parasites, viruses that have then co-evolved with various species to actually be, you know, beneficial? You know, it's hard to say when it's beneficial. Just because parasites by their nature are sucking up the energy from their hosts and generally doing bad things, if, you know, not uh, hollowing out their insides by eating them <laughs> entirely. But it gets more subtle Returning to the zombie ant, so you have this infection of the colony by this fungus um, that is chronic. It is pretty much present in every ant colony that you will find in South America, which means that the ants are living with this. They aren't being wiped out, so it is kind of a thing that you just deal with as an ant. It's a chronic infection that has been evolving for millions upon millions of years. They have found fossilized leaves in Germany that are 48 million years old that have the characteristic bite marks of zombie ants. So it's at least that old. And you can see that, you know, for at least 48 million years, the parasite and the host have been living alongside each other, um, to the detriment, of course, to the ant. Um, but that doesn't mean that the ant is completely ruined. The, ant, the colony survives because uh, it's this chronic infection. Not everybody gets infected. So, you know, you start to think about, you know, not only what is an ant, what is a species, but how do these relationships form? How do these parasites evolve to, first of all, not wipe out the colony completely, because that would be bad for the parasite, and like you lose your host. So there's this delicate balance that develops between parasite and host that's you know all the more delicate considering the parasite has to induce these really subtle behavioral changes in the host itself. So it's, you know, they're still trying to work out exactly, first of all, how these parasites are inducing these behaviors, but you know, what the interaction between 
Parasite and host not only the app, but, but the Parasite and the host into a larger degree an ecosystem and how these parasites are making perhaps the ants more susceptible to predation and things like that. It's just so complicated, extra layers upon extra layers beyond perhaps the most astoundingly complex behavior that is the manipulation of behavior by these parasites. It just keeps getting weirder and weirder and more complex and more complex. Well, well, we are really slightly out of time, but maybe just to close, it seems like most of these viruses, at least they're not killing their most immediately, they're making use of them. Is there any chance that we could see one of these parasites kind of run amok in a zombie apocalypse? I would certainly hope not. I would leave that to Hollywood, ideally. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, you can see, obviously, that these parasites, in subtle ways, they didn't evolve to exploit us, things like rabies, um, but they still work on our brains in a way that we would prefer that they not. Um, I think we're safe. We have relatively complex brains that uh, would be more difficult, theoretically, to take over than a, a cockroach brain. Uh, but I don't know. Never say never. Um, but hopefully uh, you and I are, are long gone before that ever happens to the human species. Uh, we were just talking with Mr. Matt Simon. He's the author of Plight of the Living Dead, What Real-Life Zombies Reveal About Our World and Ourselves. And uh, Mr. Simon, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. And thank you for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.